In those halachas, those mitzvahs which we have on a regular basis, every day, every week, even once a year, and then there's those mitzvahs which we have on a very rare basis. And the Schmidt is a good example of that. It's only once every seven years, and only here in Eretz Yisrael. And therefore, we look forward to Shemitah. It's an opportunity, which we don't often get, to be Makayim a number of mitzvahs teresa, which we don't have the rest of the year, or most years. So much so, that the person can bring down, that in three weeks' time will be Rosh Hashanah, and we'll say Shechiyano, as every yomta. The person can bring down that when it comes to Shemitah, Rosh Hashanah before Shemitah, a person should say Shechiyano, having in mind that this is the opportunity to Makayim, the mitzvahs, the raisa, that we have to wait seven years to do, the mitzvahs of Shemitah. And therefore, what I want to begin with tonight, Be'ez Hashem, is to talk about the mitzvahs, the raisa, that we can be Makayim. The mitzvahs, the raisa of Shemitah. And first, we're going to think about practical ways that we can keep these mitzvahs, even if we're not farmers, even if we're not working the ground. So... In the mitzvahs the rise of Shemitah, we have four mitzvahs say and four mitzvahs leitaseh. There's four positive mitzvahs that we can do, and there are another four negative mitzvahs, which we're not allowed to do. Let's look at the positive mitzvahs of Shemitah first. The first mitzvah of Shemitah, the first positive mitzvah of Shemitah, is v'shav Haaretz shabbos l'ashem, to allow the land to rest. Just like as people we rest comes Shabbos every week. So there's a mitzvah on Shemitah of allowing the land to rest. So by allowing the land to rest, not, not working it, not farming it, we're doing a mitzvah the raisa of a Shav Sa'aretz. The second mitzvah the raisa of Shemitah that we can do uh, positively, there's a mitzvah of eating parish feasts. It's an interesting thing. The Ramban writes that it says, It's meant to be eaten. So we'll talk about the mitzvah of eating Shemitah fruit, but uh, one has an opportunity to eat fruit and do mitzvah at the same time. There are restrictions, there are rules about when one's allowed to eat Shemitah fruit and how one eats Shemitah fruit. We'll learn that in the next show, but it's something to bear in mind. When one goes to bash fruit and Shemitah, there's, according to the Ramban, it's a mitzvah the right to eat the fruit of Shemitah. There's another mitzvah which applies to fruit as well, and that is, when we're going to learn about next week, what's called Shasa Bir, which means the time that we have to finish eating the fruit fine. And we're going to discuss this in the next year, Be'ez Hashem, every fruit has its time limit, when we have to finish it by. To finish eating the fruit by the time limit, which is Negea, which is practical for each individual kind of fruit, is also a mitzvah. And then there's the mitzvah, Slow Tasseh. There's a, there's a, sorry, there's three of the mitzvahs I'll say. There's also a mitzvahs I'll say of allowing the land to be happy. Allowing people to come in and take from the fruit that we have. It says, We leave our fields open and people are allowed to come and help themselves. So again, we have four mitzvahs I'll say. Two of them apply to the ground. The one is the mitzvah of letting the land rest. The second one is the mitzvah of allowing people to come and take from what we have. And two of them apply to the fruit. The one is the mitzvah to eat the fruit. And the last one is the mitzvah to finish the fruit while we call the shasabir, the deadline for finishing the fruit. Then we have the mitzvah sarayasa, or what we're not allowed to do in shmitzah. We're not allowed to plant seeds. The Torah tells us not to grow. We're not allowed to plant seeds. The Torah tells us we're not allowed to plow the ground. The Kharish of Akatsir Tishkwas, we learn how to plow the ground, which means to make it more ready to plant seeds, more fertile by whatever we're going to do to prepare it for planting. We're not allowed to prune trees, and we're not allowed to harvest crops in the way we would normally harvest crops the rest of the year. So we have four mitzvahs assay, and four mitzvahs loit assay, that we we hear, we zeichet to be in Israel, we have the opportunity to do. In fact, as I said at the beginning, we're not farmers. So we don't have big expanses of land. So how is it practical for us to be makayim, all these mitzvahs, even if we're living here in a Okay, so there are three options. 
Firstly, a matter I've been in the buildings here is that there's a communal garden for the building. If we have a ground, we have a garden, or if we're living in a, on the ground floor apartment, or we have a garden attached to our, our houses, whatever it's going to be, we don't have to have a field. If you have a garden, you already have the opportunity to make all the mitzvahs of Schmitz. Which means, number one, we can't do gardening work. It's part of allowing the land to rest. Number two, if we happen to have a fruit tree in our garden, then we can put a sign outside our gate, whoever wants to come and eat the fruit, and we make in the mitzvah of allowing everybody to eat the fruit, we're making our, our property happy. Even if it's not our individual garden, we're part of a building, and it's a communal garden, we can all make in the mitzvah of Shemitah together, again, by not doing work on the property, and by allowing people to come in. And if we'll take a quick tour of the garden, we see there aren't any fruit trees that people can come and take the fruit. So here we have a very simple answer. We still have a few weeks to Rosh Hashanah. If a person plants something like a herb or mint or one of these things which people can eat, the leaves, or even roses according to my opinion because one could eat rose petals in various recipes, that's also something edible which I can then be makkir. I have something which people could take and I can have such a thing, I can be makkir. And I'll be makkir in the midst of the of leaving my property open for other people to take. And if I happen to be in a building where there isn't a garden downstairs, so how am I going to Makayim Mitzvah Shemitah now? Again, it's less practical in this neighborhood, but in different neighborhoods, there are buildings which don't have a communal garden, so how am I going to Makayim the Mitzvah Shemitah? So we're going to learn a second principle. We're going to discuss this in more detail soon. But there's certain ways that I can have pot plants or house plants which are also considered like they're part of the ground. And if that's the case, if I buy myself a pot plant, I can make a Mitzvah Shemitah like that. We'll talk about the details exactly how to do it and where you have to place this plant, but it's possible for me to buy myself a little pot plant, and this is my ground right now, and I'm going to use this to make the Mitzvah Shemitah. Now, this is a little bit of planning, because come Shemitah, we can't do anything. Then it's part of the issue not to plant and not to prepare for planting, and therefore come Shemitah, I definitely can't stay and start buying pot plants then. But if you have still have a few weeks ahead, so one thing to add to our list of preparations for Rosh Hashanah is to make sure we have a way to make the mitzvah, the rice of Shemitah, comes Rosh Hashanah. That's the, the first thing, our preparation for Shemitah. Unfortunately, there are those buildings where not all the tenants, not all the residents want to keep Shemitah. And then there's always a question. If you have those people in the building who want to, they they don't understand the value of the halach, and they want to do the gardening, they want to work on the garden during Shemitah. So now we have the second problem. And that is, it's also for us. It's also for us to plant things, it's also for us to grow things. So, what the post can always say to do is to make an agreement with other, with everyone else in the building that come Shemitah, I don't want to be a part of the gardening, I don't want to contribute to the gardening. As far as I'm concerned, uh, the garden can be left alone for a year. Now, if there's a majority of people who don't want to do the gardening, that's great. But if that's not going to happen, and there's an, enough people in the building who are going to insist on it, so what you said to do is to make a deal with them. So look, you want to charge the VAD base, whatever the communal fee is going to be, of 100, 200 shekels a month. So I'll tell you what, I'll pay my 200 shekels a month towards the cleaning, towards the electric bill, and instead of that, you pay for my share of the gardening. And as I'm going to pay the same amount of money, but I'm telling you, Merosh, I'm not paying for gardening. I'm putting my money into something else, and that way, at least, I'm not responsible for people doing Malacha during Shemitah. So again, if it's a position where we, it's up to us to decide what to do and we can choose not to, do, not to work on the garden, we can become a mitzvah, the rice about doing that, shavs it's allowing the land to rest, that's the best option. If we don't have that option, at least we should make it clear we don't want to contribute to doing something which is also, we're willing to pay for everything else, not for the garden. Okay, that's our first point. And that is, what's the din of Shemitah as it applies to the ground? Okay, the second point. The second point I want to talk about, we started discussing this a little bit before. What about house plants? What about pot plants? So firstly, what's the din? So with these plants, what's the mitzvah? Or what's the din? So this is going to get a little bit technical, we'll try and make it as straightforward as possible. The halacha looks at house plants in two different categories. There are those house plants, or pot plants, which we say are still connected to the ground. In the halakhic terminology, we call it yoinek minakarka. It's still considered connected to the ground. And if it's connected to the ground, then midaraisa has a den of anything which is growing on the ground. Just like if I would, let's say, 
build myself a big mound of earth and plant on top of it, that's part of the ground. It's just a bit higher up, but it's part of the ground. It's the same thing if I have a pot plant, which is considered connected to the ground. What I'm growing in the pot plant is growing on the ground. And therefore, the same din which applies to everything else would apply to these kind of pot plants also. But then there are those kind of pot plants which are considered halakhically not growing from the ground. But they're not growing from the ground. So even though mid there's still a reason to keep Shemitah, which we're going to talk about. But Me'ikara Din, they're not growing from the ground, and therefore the Din does the Mitzvah doesn't apply to them. So how do we tell if a plant is growing from the ground or not? So Chazal explains to us like this. It's a Gemara, and the Gemara tells us that if there's a direct contact between the plant and the ground, it's considered Yoinich from the ground. It absorbs nutrients from the ground. It doesn't even have to be standing on the ground for this. As long as there's a direct contact, the, the plant is directly above the ground, in direct contact, so something that absorbs from the ground is considered growing from the ground. If there's no direct contact between the plant and the ground, then it's not considered being getting from the ground. So how do we have cases of a plant which is still in contact with the ground, and therefore it's growing from the ground? So we'll go from the most simple case to the more original cases. The most simple case is I have a pipe plant, but there are holes at the bottom for drainage. I don't want my pipe plant to get flooded, so there's a drainage hole at the bottom that the water which I have watered with can come out. Says that If there's a hole at the bottom of the pipe plant, so then it's go- if it's on the ground, then it's going to be added from the ground. There's a direct contact between them. That's the first point. The second point, if I don't have any holes at the bottom of my pipe plant, but the material that the pipe plant, that the base is made out of, is something which is porous, which means that if the roots are going to suck through that, then it's still considered connected to the ground. Because even though it happens to be something which my plant's in, right, but Lemaisa can still suck through that from the ground. So an example of this, let's just, let's just make a simple example first. Imagine my kids brought up from Ghan, a pipe that's made out of dried mud. We all understand that's very different, it's not very different to the ground. And if I'm going to plant something in such a pipe plant, it's going to be added from the ground. The Alokha says the same thing would apply to clay. So clay is also really a sand, and therefore, even if I have a clay, which is very common today, there's like pinkish kind of colored clay mm. plant holders, that's considered like sand. Clay is just dried sand of some nature, and therefore, something inside can still be unique. My plants in this clay holder will still be, if it's on the ground, will still suck up nutrients from the ground. It doesn't even have to be directly on the ground. Even if it's on a stand or it's suspended from a chain in some nature above the ground, as long as there's nothing in between the ground and my pot plant, it's still going to be considered to be from the ground. Okay, so in the meantime, we're talking about clay pot plants, which will have a hole, even if they don't have a hole, whether they're on directly on the stand or even if it's suspended above this. Now, this is a solution for a lot of people who are not living on the ground floor, but they want to become a Mitzvah if you have a balcony, and you can hang a pipe plant out your balcony, then it can still be something which is yearning from the ground. If that's the case, I have the opportunity to make a mitzvah shmitzah like that. I can, build, I can plant four shmitzah, plant, plant something in my pipe plant, pipe plant, which is now connected to the ground. I leave it for shmitzah, I don't work with the shmitzah, and then I'm being making the mitzvah deraisa of the shavstarit, of leaving the ground. One more case we have of something which is also considered yearning from the ground, and this is interesting, a chitish of chazal. They said, even if my pot plant isn't a kind of pot plant which is yearning from the ground, but the plant is big enough that the leaves are extending over the edges. Now, there's some kind of nutrients which they, the leaves can get from the ground also, even if the roots are in the pot plant. If it's a big enough plant that the sides of the plant extend over the walls of the pot, of the sides of the, of the pot that they're in, that's also considered yearning from the ground. Right. Okay, what about other materials? What about other materials? So it's like this. Materials which definitely nothing can go through. For example, metal. For example, hard plastic. Even, for example, glass. Things like that. So if, if, if my, my plant is in such a container, so then it's not going to be unique. If there's something blocking it from the ground, and it's not going to get any nutrients from the ground. Similarly, and this is, a, this is an argument, what's the deal of cement? What's the deal of cement? And this is very practical because, as I mentioned previously, Sometimes the ground is actual sand, sometimes it's like uh, the sidewalk, or sometimes it's the parking lot, whatever it is, which is this paper cement. Is cement something which is adds some also a clay-like substance, just harder, and therefore we say there is some kind of contact to the ground, or not? That's very interesting. There was a machlokes about this in the neighborhood many years ago, between the Chaznish, 
and Rav Shmuel Vosnitz. And the Chazanish claims that the concrete isn't stuff enough to, stop, to prevent the plant being yanek from the ground. And Rav Vosnitz didn't understand that. He said, cement is very strong. He couldn't understand how it's possible. Until he writes this himself. Until he went home and he had a pot plant, it seems, which was on the floor of his house. In those days, there were tile floors, there were cement floors. He said he moved the pot plant to the side and he saw that the, 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 there was a crack underneath the plant which was wet, which, in other words, have been there a long enough time, can you read the root that somehow cracked into the concrete to suck newtons from the ground? Mm. So he says he understood that he was wrong. That concrete is also something which is possible for a plant to absorb moisture from, and if that's the case, we can consider concrete also to be something that if you have a plant on top of the concrete or even suspended above the concrete, we still consider that nukhobila karka. So if we want to have the opportunity to makai in the midst of shmitzah with a pipe plant of some sort, when the conditions are, it has to be over the ground. It has to be, a, the pot has to be something which either has a hole in it at the bottom, which we can be yearning from, or it's the nature of something like clay or pottery, which, which uh, can absorb, or the leaves that extend over the sides. Now, glazed pottery is a big shadow in halacha, because we're not quite sure what that is. Because on the one hand, glass is also something which comes from sand. It's just superheated. So we have pottery which comes from sand, let me say, the, the, that we say the, the unique, the, so to speak, the moisture can get absorbed. Glass, we say it's too thick that it can't get absorbed. What we're going to do with the glazed pottery, it's somewhere in between. It's like a glass coating of pottery. And that's why whenever we come to the glazed pottery in Halakh, we always have the same stuff. We deal with it like glass, we deal with it like pottery. And therefore, if you're looking for something to make in the midst of Schmitter, it's better not to use glazed pottery because it's the which category that's in. There's one more question, one more question. Uh, type of material which is often used for pipe plants. It's also an interesting question. What's the din of wood? What's the din of wood? I have a wooden, a very decorative wooden box to hold my plant inside. What's the din of wood? So here it depends. This is interesting. It depends what my den is going to make a difference what my plant is. There's some plants which have soft stems and there's some plants that are little bushes which have like a hard stem. Like a, it's, it's like, it looks like a little tree. Right? I have a miniature little tree so it has a hard wooden stem. The halacha is plants with soft stems can't penetrate wood, and the wood's a harder, a harder material than they are. But if it's a wooden stem and has proper root, then it can penetrate wood as well. And if that's the case, it will make a difference between them whether it's something which I consider something which can be yanek from the ground or not. Okay, so that's as far as. I'm sorry, you said if they have a hard stem. Then we say it can't penetrate wood also. It can't or can? It can, can. Yeah. If it's hard, then it can penetrate. It's wooden, but it's wood itself, so then it can penetrate the wooden stem. If it's a soft stem, then it won't penetrate through wood. Okay, so that, yeah. So is there a certain height that's too high? No, it doesn't make a difference. So you're from a fortune Okay. Okay. Not over ceramic tiles, but over the air or over the, or over the concrete. Right. Or over the old tiles, which are not ceramic tiles. The, the old Israeli tiles were on ceramic, they would also be okay. The, the ceramic tiles are, would be a shine. And if it can penetrate, but it hasn't penetrated yet, that's fine? Halakhic, if you look at it as, as once it's there, it's going to happen, and therefore you can, it's considered part of the ground. Okay, now we come to our next question. So what are we not, now we have our pot plants, or we have our garden, so we decided the halakh is we want to make in the mitzvah and not work on shmitzah. What are we allowed to do, and what are we not allowed to do? What are we allowed to, what are we not allowed to do? So the rule is like this. The rule is, when we come to the four things, the four isurim of the Torah, the four categories of Torah said are asur, with the rice to the shmitah, then there's no heterim. So the Torah says is asur, is asur. So number one, we can't plant anything. We can't plant anything, that's asur in the Torah. We can't plow the ground. Even though that's not so practical on the bigger sense, we're not talking about a field, but even just to dig it up and turn it over, to soften it, we can't plow the ground. We can't prune trees. This is a bit more practical. We'll talk about when the Chinese which come up on this. And we can't harvest big quantities of fruit. Now, again, unless we're farmers, we don't have such big quantities of fruit, so that's not really practical for us. But what about all the other things you want to do? One wants to take away, clean up the dead leaves. One wants to water the, the, water the plants. One wants to maybe put down fertilizer. One wants to break their branches off, whatever, all, all the other activities which there are, there are many of them that a person can do in the field. What about spraying for insects? What about, what's our luck with all the everything else? So all these other activities which one can do in a field are all asamid 
the Gemara says clearly that the four which are Asamidaraisa, awesome again, the ones you mentioned, everything else you'd want to do in your field is only Asamidrabana. And why that makes a big difference to us is because the Gemara tells us, this is the Gemara in my cotton, the Gemara says to us that when Rabbanan made the other activities regarding the gardening or looking after the ground also, they only made it also if I'm doing it in order to improve my plants or to make them better. But if I'm doing it in order to keep them alive, that they don't die, then that's what The Gemara says you have to just make a distinction. Am I doing it in order to make the things better, to improve them? In which case I can't, and one said it's also. If I'm only doing it in order to make sure my plants don't die, to keep them alive, it's mutter. And therefore, this is the most practical question. The mission itself is talking about a person's allowed to water his plants in Shemitah. <coughs> because watering plants is only midrabanan. And if those kinds of plants, which are going to die if they're not watered, someone has to water them. But I have to know how much water they need. Because to, to give them excess water, which is just going to make them grow better, that I can't do. To give them what they need so that they don't die, that's mutter. And therefore, a person doesn't have to let his garden go to ruin. A person's allowed to water those plants so that they don't die. And has to know a little bit ahead what, how much water plants need to keep them going. And that's mutter to do during Shemitah. Obviously, if I can set up a system, Merosh, that I have something in the sprinkler system that will, I can time it exactly how often it needs to work, that's the easiest. But even if I don't have such a system, I want to water them myself, and it will be mutter in order to, to give them the amount of water that they need that they don't die. The same thing applies to if I want to put in nutrients into the ground or any other chemicals which they have to, then the question is, what are we doing? If it's there to improve the plants or to make them grow bigger, it's awesome. If it's there to keep them alive, it's going to be mutter. Okay, that's what's going to to... Therefore, when we come to all the plants we have, we want to make in the midst of Shemitah, but the midst of Shemitah, as we said, the Darius is not to do work, which is also. Those, those forms of work which are mutter, as I said, I'm allowed to do that, and for sure, I don't have to lose all my plants because of Shemitah. There's an interesting two or three halakhic applications which they've been based on this principle. And that is, when the Isurim Durabonin, the only said are also if you're doing it in order to make the plants better. If you're not doing it to make the plants better, then the Yisurim Durabonin don't apply. So historically, let's talk about two or three. There was historically, there's a Mashav in the Negev, there's a village in the Negev, one of the first places to keep Shemitah called Kavimir. Kavimir, and what happened there was that the first few years, there was a Shemitah year, they were wheat farmers, they left the lands empty, so they didn't plant anything. So over the course of the year, what happens? Uh, grasses or thorns or other kinds of weeds start to grow. They didn't have a problem with that. But the problem is because over the course of the summer, uh, no one was doing any work in the fields, so a big population of snakes moved in. And now they had a problem. You know, it's one thing to leave your fields empty, but you don't want snakes next to your houses. So they went to the Chaznesh. What do we do? There's snakes in the fields. So the Chaznesh gave them a hatter. They're allowed to cut down all the weeds, burn everything down, so it'll take, the snakes will go away. That's already begun. There is a That's not just, you're not doing it for the ground. You're doing it because we have a problem. Maybe we have snakes. Similarly, maybe it's not so practical today. The Gemara says a person is allowed to break branches of a tree on Shemitah for firewood. If that was the heating that they had, and that's what they needed, they needed the wood for firewood. I'm not doing this for the tree. I'm doing it because I need the wood. Where is this practical today? A few weeks' time. Come circus. People want schach. Am I allowed to cut down branches for schach? It's written. And the same thing is going to apply. If I'm doing it because I need the branches for schach, it's fine. Cutting branches off a tree is only midrabon. It's not one of the four in the so if I'm cutting branches off because I need the schach, that's okay. If I'm doing it to prune the tree, then it's a problem. It's the pruning a tree is the estabilizer. So I have to know that if I'm cutting off branches, I'm not a professional agriculturist, and I'm not, I don't know exactly which branches to cut to make the tree better. I'm just cutting off a few branches so I have wood or leaves for schach, and that's the lab. So then we come to picking the lobby, more hadassim, more robots, whatever else I need, that's not for the tree, that's for me. And if that's the case, there's no issue in doing that. Yeah. Right. Similarly, and this is also a practical question that's going to come up. People want to build suckers in their gardens. So in order to build a sucker, they have to put a hole in the ground. Whether it's to secure the boards or whether it's to lay down a floor, whatever it's going to be. Once again, you're not doing it for the ground. I'm not trying to improve the ground. I'm doing this because I need the space for my sucker. If that's the case, there's no issue to build a sucker on the ground during Schmitzer, even if it means I'm going to have to make a hole or whatever it is to, to put the beams into place to, put, to build the walls. Another question which often comes up. 
you know, there's a, in, in my garden, in my yard, I have a path, or I have a place where I like to sit, and the leaves fall, and the stones, they can like, clean up the area which my kids can play there, whatever it's going to be. Is that also or is that mutter? So here also, all these activities, we, we, we call cleaning the ground. In Hebrew, being masakal, which means moving the stones, or debris, or leaves, or anything out the way. All those things are also midrabon. If the reason I'm doing it is in order to make the ground better, that afterwards I can work with it, it's also. If the reason I'm doing it is people don't trip, or that it's a place that children can play, then it's mutter. If I have a yard, even if it's sand, even if it's grass, there's no problem cleaning it up to enable people to use it. That's not an isra and shvis. Okay, that's what's going to get to the second distinction between the surim of Drabanan, which I'm doing in order to improve the ground, as opposed to I'm doing it because I want to, some other reason where it's going to affect me. Historically, this was the basis of a famous hatter. We're going back a long time. They were already hidden in Israel keeping Shemitah about 150 years ago in the 1880s. And they were doing it, but then they had a problem. And the problem they had was, was that then the ruling power in Israel was the Turkish government. And the Turks had a rule that if somebody wasn't using land which could be farmed, so he's not helping the national economy or producing food, so then they're going to take it away and give it to someone who's willing to farm it. So the Yidden came at the time, to the Gdolim at the time, where Rishul Ediskin, here in Yishalayim, Yitzhak Khan Inspector, then the Rabbin Kavner, but he was considered one of the Gdolim Adar, what do we do? We can leave our fields empty, but we're going to lose the property. So what is Muta for us to do? Because we, that's for sure a big loss if we're going to lose our fields. So then there was a question about what Melach is the only Midrabanan, which we can do not because we're doing it for the benefit of the field, we're doing it for the benefit of we don't lose the field. That would be a big half set where there would be a Makam to be matched with that. That option doesn't apply so much today, and therefore we have the opportunity to Makayim Shmita, like I said, we can find the, 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 the opportunities for ourselves to Makayim Shmita, and we don't have these problems. It's very easy for us. The next thing I want to talk about is what about plants inside the house? Until now we spoke about either plants which are connected to the ground or at least suspended above the ground or are outside. What's my luck of plants inside my house? And why is it a question? And the question, the question is like this. If we're talking about well, the malachas daraisa, in other words, not to plant them, so yes, we're not, we're not allowed to plant plants during Shemitah. But what about uh, taking care of them? Watering them or taking care of them, whatever it's going to be, is a big machlokas. If the restrictions of the land apply to inside a house also. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about planting on the ground. If I have a greenhouse where things are planted in the ground, even if it's covered, that's planting on the ground. But if I'm talking about in my house where I have a floor and I have a pot plant, and the pot plant's not connected to the floor because I have tiles, whatever it is. So even though we said normally midrabanan, normally midrabanan, there would be a, even if it's not a pot plant which is connected to the ground, I would have to worry about shmitah. But now, it's in my house also. So what's the of a pot plant not connected to the ground and also in my house? Here, there are a lot of post scheme who hold it as no Yisra Shemitah. Rabbanu won't go to two steps. In other words, if I have a pot plant which is not connected to the ground, I have a metal container or a glass container, whatever it is, so then we say that it's one step. Even though it's not drawing any nutrients from the ground, Rabbanu will match there as well. If it's also in the house, which is not the normal place people grow things, so then a lot of folks can hold that there's no Yisra watering or dealing with the pot plant in my house, which is also not connected to the ground. Therefore, if a person has such a pot plant in his house and he wants to take care of it on Schmitzer, and then he doesn't want it to be in the category of things which is also for him to deal with, so it's very simple. What he has to do before Schmitzer is either lay an aluminium foil, silver foil, something like that on the ground underneath, or put it on a glass tray, whatever it is, and then when it's no longer connected to the ground and it's indoors, so then the dinner of Schmitzer doesn't apply to it. Now, this makes a difference to us because as a Shaila, if I have a pot plant which is connected to the ground, now let's say I want to move it somewhere else. So by picking it up and putting it somewhere else, maybe I've detached it now. If I said it was connected to the ground, because hanging on the outside of my, of my repressor, of my balcony, and it's directly over the ground, and now I want to move it and put it in a different place. So maybe by doing that, I detach it from the ground. That's a good question. If that's okay, like I said, those plants I want to be in the midst of Shemitah with, I'm still in I'm going to leave them alone. I don't want to move them around because that might be considered detaching them. But if I have those plants in my house, which I want to be able to move around, and I don't want to get into these questions, so then the, 
the advisable thing to do is to make make sure that they in, in put on something which will block between the plant and the ground. Is it metal or glass or something like that? If that's the case, it's not wrong to deal with them during Schmitzel. That's as far as pot plants or house plants um, and what you can do with them. There's always a question about plants which are grown in water, which there's more and more common because they're worried about insects and therefore there's more and more varieties of vegetables which they grow in water. And now there's also something called aeroponics, which means plants are already grown in the air and the way that they they live, they receive the nutrients is they spray them every day with whatever chemicals it is and they grow with, even though the roots are already hanging in the air. Plants like that, hydroponics, water plants, aeroponics, which means plants growing in the air. There's a big shadow in the post-skim. Is there a is there, there or not? Because they aren't connected to the ground. They aren't connected to the ground. And uh, even though there's two opinions about this, the master of the Chazanish was Mahmir. He held that since they're meant to be growing like that, that was they cultivated in an ideal, so to speak, environment for them to grow. So the Isra of Shvi'as will still apply. I'm not saying it's because we're doing this at home necessarily, but like we're going to learn about what halachas apply to different species which have Shvi'as, so that it will make a difference to us if plants which are grown in water, we have to deal with it as something which has Kedusha Shvi'as. Where does Shvi'as apply to? We know only applies in Eretz It only applies in Eretz It's a mitzvah which is given specifically to Eretz Yisrael. And therefore the question is, what are the borders of Eretz Yisrael which are Chayim and Shmita? Because areas outside of that, Shmita doesn't apply to. And once again, it might not be practical for us in the sense of where we're going to grow our plants or where we can do the, the mitzvahs of Shmita, because we're here in Yerushalayim, which is for sure Eretz Yisrael. But it's going to make a big difference to when we talk about those crops which are coming from different locations, we have to deal with them as being Shmita produce or not? Okay, so... Three of the borders of Eretz Yisrael we know. The one border is the Yadin River. The second border is the sea. The north border, the, for the purposes of Shvi'is, we know as well. The uh, uh, mission tells us it's a line going from Akko towards uh, the Khermon, approximately. The real question is, what's the south border of Eretz Yisrael? Because even though the Torah defines the south border of Eretz Yisrael to us, we don't know what that means. What the Torah defines the south border of Israel is Nachal Mitzrayim. The Nachal of Mitzrayim, what does that mean? That we, we're not talking about the, the, the Nile River that's far away, that's in Egypt. So there's obviously some stream in the south of Israel which is called Nachal Mitzrayim. And therefore we're going to see there's two different opinions where exactly that is. At what stage do we have to consider that's still Eretz Israel? And at what stage is it far enough south that that's no longer Eretz Israel? And like we said, the difference will be what's the din of uh, produce which comes from an area outside of Eretz Israel. Okay. Now we're going to see, we'll talk what the difference is, we'll see in a minute. But now we're going to talk about one more concept as an introduction. And uh, that is, there's an interesting halacha. We know that with all the halachas we spoke about until now, which means dealing with the ground, and the methods which apply to the ground, and not doing melacha on the ground, and being and rendering the ground onerous, or uh, not doing work there, applies from Rosh Hashanah to Rosh Hashanah. The Shemitah year starts Rosh Hashanah, the Shemitah year ends next year Rosh Hashanah, and all the halachas which are Nagea, which are applicable to the ground, are talking about are from Rosh Hashanah to Rosh Hashanah. Now, we're going to talk about the produce of Shemitah, the things which grow during Shemitah. So now the question is, what do we consider to be produce of Shemitah? Because it comes Rosh Hashanah, you know, they're all various different things which are holding at different stages of their growth. For example, there's some vegetables, for example, let's say, which have just been planted. There's some which are already ready. There's some which are ready to be picked. What are we going to say, Shemitah? What's the cut of date for Shemitah? So the halacha is that there's three different categories. It's important because it's going to make a difference to the halacha. There are three different categories of things which can grow, and each one we give a different din of when we start the Shemitah calendar from. That's not too confusing. I'm trying to explain the logic for what, behind the system. The first three rules. Vegetables, go, we consider them based on when they're ready to be picked. When they're ready to be picked, and when they are picked, that's when you consider shvis. And therefore, vegetables which are growing now and will be picked on Erev Rosh Hashanah are not shvis. None of the dinim of shvis apply to them. 
vegetable, that same vegetable, which you'll pick a week later, after Rosh Hashanah, well, the dinner's feast. Vegetables go about, we look at when they're picked. Grains go by when they're a third developed. We call Shlishkidule, when they're a third developed. Now, this is not so common in Eretz Yisrael because most of the grains we have in Eretz Yisrael grow during the winter. And if that's the case, there isn't, there aren't, it's not practical now anyway. But there are some kinds of grains, which are called summer crop, which they grow in the summer as well. And if that's the case, what we need to know about Rosh Hashanah is it already developed a third of its full growth or less than that. And the third rule regarding, regarding fruit is fruit that goes by what we call chanosa, which means when it starts to bat on the tree. And therefore, it doesn't make a difference when we pick the fruit. It depends when the fruit starts to grow. So we'll come at a very interesting thing. And that is, the fruit which is growing to, going to start growing next summer is going to be Shemitah fruit, because it started growing during Shemitah. And even if we only pick the fruits after next Rosh Hashanah, it's going to be Shemitah fruit. So it's going to come out that vegetables, really, the Shemitah is this year, because the guys will only pick them. And vegetables don't have a good cold storage. If we pick them, we use them straight away. So therefore, this year is a shadow of all the halakhas of vegetables apply. But the Shemitah fruit are only going to be the fruit which starts growing during Shemitah. And therefore, the main practical halakhas of Shemitah fruit will only be towards the end of Shemitah or even the year after Shemitah. Because when those, those fruits eventually develop, those are the Shemitah fruit which are now coming onto the market. What's the reason for this? What's the reason for this halakh? So the Gemara explains it to some plus. And the Gemara says like this. The Gemara says, we have to find the cut of date which works for everybody. If we, everyone's going to have their own way of trying to work at when it's trees, when it's not trees, it's going to be too confusing. So we have to make certain, so to speak, principles that this is going to be a principle which works across the board. So let's look at each of these categories. Vegetables, you can grow whenever you want. Right? There's no season for vegetables. They grow the whole year round. Every time you put the seeds in the, gro- the ground, you're going to water them, vegetables will grow. So there are always vegetables growing. If that's the case, what cutoff can we give? Which means it's going to apply? The cutoff we can give is, when did you pick it? Right? Any vegetable which is picked before Rosh Hashanah is not Shavis. Any vegetable picked after Rosh Hashanah is Shavis. And that can work for all vegetables because they're always growing. And therefore, there's no other, there's no other shear of a time in a season which is a season for a vegetable. As opposed to on the, on the other side, fruit grows once a year. If that's the case, we have a season for fruit. So, now, you can pick fruits at different times. But we have a season when the fruit's going to start growing on the trees, and therefore we can work with seasons. So we're going to work with this year's season, next year's season, this year's crop, next year's crop, each, each time, each year, the fruit grows again, and if that's the case, we have a starting point that we can know that's this year's crop. So we have a, a Schmitter, so to speak, the Schmitter year's produce, which grew during Schmitter. Since it's a, one, it's a one, one season of a year, or one time when all the fruits start to grow, so then we can determine... Which, which crop is which? And when it comes to grains, the reason they came to a third is the Gemara says an interesting thing. The Gemara says, if grain is not yet a third grown and you cut it down, it will grow again. It will grow again. The same seed will just continue to grow. If it's already reached a third of its growth and you cut it down, then you'll have to replant it. In other words, and then not only that, the Gemara says they used to do this. They used, when, the, when the grain, so to speak, started to sprout and you had the original shoots coming out the ground, they used to cut them down. They used to use it for animal food. And it wasn't the problem because it grow a second time. But once it reaches third growth, now it's not going to grow again. If you cut it down now, then you have to replant it. So, now, so when does it become something which now everybody has to leave it alone? It basically, it's, you can't work with cutting down and letting it grow a second time when it reaches the third of its growth. If that's the case, then it's defined, that crop. That crop now has to grow to its completion. And that's why Shemitah would depend on when it's grown one third. Right. So with the Saktana. That there's one, the one, one thing which applies to vegetables, there's one thing which applies to grains, and there's another which applies to fruits. So why is this going to make a difference to us? Because coming to Shoshana, and right away we're going to have a shayla on the vegetables, and that is what's, when the shvi is applied to them. Yeah. Right. Now, the various restrictions regarding buying, eating, keeping, storing, disposing of Shemitah fruit that we're going to talk about next week. And what I just want to talk about is, as an introduction for that now is therefore, what are the, you know, all the conscious organizations, what preparations do they have to make for Shemitah to make sure that there's produce available? So the easiest thing to do is if they're going to market produce in the stores, they have to find something which is in Shemitah. 
because as we're going to learn about next week, one of the Assyrian, which are planted trees, is we can't set up commercially. We can't store, and therefore, the stores aren't allowed to sell Shemitah fruits or vegetables. So what do they do? So they have three options. Either they can start stockpiling now, before Shemitah, as much as they can, so that they can sell what they call shishis, which means things which still grew before Shemitah. That's okay. At, uh, depending on what we're talking about is how long they can store it for, and therefore how long it will be on the market for. So things like potatoes, potatoes or carrots, which they can put into cold storage, for a number of months, so you'll see the shishis, which means things which grew before Shemitah, and picked before Shemitah, and stored before Shemitah, and that's fine. No, I'm not that. Those vegetables which you can't store, which you can't put in cold storage. So the, the, the amount that they have from before Schmidt is going to run out much, quick, much more quickly. Things like lettuces or even tomatoes or things like that. So that's the one answer they have. What they can store before Schmidt would be called dishes. The second answer they have is food which comes from out of Eretz Yisrael. Food, food from, which comes from out of Eretz Yisrael because then again, something which grows in Kostarot, we don't have a problem. There's no Schmidt that does in the plant. Where do we... Where do we access food from outside Eretz Israel? So the first obvious place we spoke about previously is wherever the southern border of Eretz Israel is, that so anything lower than that, anything further south, is not Eretz Israel. So if they have places like Yotvato or Nirelat or things, places like that, which they're growing vegetables in hot houses, those things will be muttered because that's not halakhili part of Eretz Israel. We'll see that there's a machlokus between different uh, post scheme exactly where the south border is, what's Nacham Mitzrayim, and that's why you're going to see that there's differences in the kashrises about what they're going to allow during Shemitah, where do we say it's out of Eretz That's the first option. The second option, the section of just important for Now, there's some things which Eretz Yisrael is anyway important for Kotzlarit, because we don't produce enough here to, to supply enough of the local market. For example, wheat. Over 80% of the wheat Eretz Yisrael is imported anyway. So things like that, they're going to keep importing. That's not a problem. That's important as it is, and therefore they're going to keep importing those things which Eretz Yisrael does produce enough of, but now comes Shemitah, they have a problem with. So what they've done in previous Shemitahs, and this is interesting, is, uh, I'm not saying this is halakhically a good option, but what they do is that they go to Jordan or Egypt, and they say, let's trade. We have 50 tons of cucumbers, which uh, no one wants to buy in Israel, because it's Shemitah. So let's trade. You guys, 50 tons which grew by you, we'll give you the ones which grow by us, and then you'll get from, basically from neighboring countries, Jordan, Egypt, wherever they're getting some from Turkey or Greece, they, they get produce from there, and even though it's not so good that we, we, we're not meant to be shipping delicious these things to Chutzlaretz, but at least what they're getting back, which is growing overseas, for us, that's more to eat. One time, I know it, I think it was 14 years ago, so I've been involved in the Rabbanut, and what they did is they made a deal with the United Nations, because the United Nations is always sending food to Gaza. So came Shemitah, so they made a deal with them. They said, listen, send us the food, and whatever, we'll give the same to Gaza from the Shemitah fruit. So they just, it's the same idea. Now, you're going to trade Shemitah fruit, which no one, no one wants to use here, for, for free coming from Chostaretz. Which, again, if it is coming from Chostaretz, no halachas applied That's also okay. The third category, which is used extensively in Eretz Israel, and this is a question mark already, and that is fruit produced by Goyim, or vegetables produced by Goyim. But as we'll see in the stores, we either have what's called shishish, shishish, which means from the sixth year, which is fine, or it'll tell you chutzlaretz, which is also fine, or it'll tell you yevulnach, produced by going. And now is a big question. What's the halachic status of fruit produced by going in Eretz Yisrael? Does the halach of Shemitah apply to such fruits or not? So we're going to see that there's two different halachas in regarding the fruit of Shemitah or the vegetables of Shemitah. And this is a big machlokas. It's a machlokas between the Beis Yosef and the Pasa Shulchan to post from 400 years ago already had this argument. What's the din of fruits produced by Goyim? We call Yavul Nachri during, during Shemitah. Those are the three sources of fruit we have, or vegetables we have. When it's available, like I said, Shishis, or in the sixth year, or Chutzlar, it's, it's definitely okay. There's no questions about it. There is also machlokas about what's the din about buying fruits which are produced by Goyim, by vegetables produced by Goyim during Shemitah. And contrary to what people think, there's actually a lot of that. There's a lot of it. A lot of the fruit and vegetables in Eretz Yisrael is produced by Arabs, not by Jews. I know because when you go to check for Trumas and Mises and things like that, so you see who's, who, who's running the fields, who they belong to. Things like peppers, for example. Most of the 
peppers produced in Eretz Yisrael over 80% are produced by Arabs. So, and other things like that in that category also. So things like that will have a different status of Yavul Nachri, and we will discuss with Hashem next year exactly which of the halachas which apply to fruit apply to Yavul Nachri. There's just one last point I want to talk about just to give a bit of a historical background. Because it's often discussed during Shemitah, we should just understand what the term means. The discussion about whether Shemitah applies to uh, things produced by a guy is talking to us, the consumer. In other words, if the guy has produced the fruit, then are we allowed to buy the fruit from him? What status or halachas apply to that fruit? There's a big discussion, and it comes up every time here in Israel, and that is, what's the din? Is a Jewish farmer allowed to sell his field to a guy for Shemitah? The Jewish farmer... It's also for him to work in the field. So he's allowed to sell his field to a guy, and Shemitah that the guy will work in the field. Now, the reason why this is a question is because it has a historical precedent. Now, like we said previously, in the 1880s, they had a problem with the Turkish law. And that was if they didn't plow the fields, they didn't use the field, and the Turkish government would take it away, basically, and give it to somebody who would. So one of the aces they wanted to come up with was, let's sell to the non-Jew and let the non-Jew work on the field. We're not doing anything wrong because we're not doing any work. We'll settle to the non-Jew and let him work on the ground. As far as Shemitah goes, that's a good, that's a good answer. But there's another halacha also here. And the halacha, there's a second halacha in the Torah. There's a thing in the Torah, which means you're not allowed to sell property in Israel to a guy. So on the one hand, it'll get around the Shemitah issue because uh, once, you've, once the non-Jew is working the ground, that's okay. What are you going to do with Israel to Khanim? You're going to have to sell property where it's installed to a guy. So, like I said, when it was practical, when it was practical then, when the, the Turkish government would have taken it away, so they went to a risk of an inspector of the carbon thereof, and he had an answer. He said, you're not going to sell the property to a guy, you're going to rent it out to a guy for, for the year of Schmitter, and, uh, and the guy will work the property. And he said the reason why he doesn't promise to a is because what's the alternative? If the government's going to take it away from you, then you've lost it altogether. So it's better to rent it to the guy for a year and then we'll get it back at the end of the year rather than just do nothing and then the government will expropriate, appropriate it and then you've lost it all together. So originally he was matter to rent the land to a non-Jew for the duration of Shemitah. It's interesting, the base of Yishalayim at the time, the Maral Diskin and the Shmuel Sadan didn't agree with him. They held it's awesome. But that's what the, that was the first answer. Then came a few years later, the time period just before World War One. And people were facing starvation. There was a severe drought near Israel, and plus the war was building up around the world. There wasn't food to eat. People died of hunger. So again, it came Shemitah. So what, what can we do? What eaters are there? If you're not going to grow anything, what are you going to eat? So then also the idea came up that maybe if they would, the Goyim would work the land for the Jews, there'd be food to eat. And what they're going to do with the Israel of Khanim? You're, you're not going to just, you know, sell them the ground. So they had a second idea. We're not going to sell them the ground. We're just going to sell them the trees. And that way they can harvest the fruit, whatever it is, so at least we'll have fruit to eat. And why is it not considered in the ground? Because the idea was that a tree you know, has a lifespan. The ground is a some sort of ground, has a ground forever. But if you sell them a tree, the tree has a lifespan. The tree dies, he hasn't got anything there. So then they had an idea, maybe they could sell going the trees. And again, the reason being because there, were, there was a real need for that. People had nothing to eat. And once again, this idea was suggested, it came back to... The Shmuel's alliance is based in, and again they asked, they said, there's no, there's no head for it. That was their original story and his history in the Shemitah's day. From this came an idea that we can sell ground to Goyim, or there was a recent decision or discussion already back then, can you sell ground to Goyim to work on Shemitah? Then there came a new level, which is what's done in Israel today, what's called Hetemachir. Now, what they do, what Hatimachira works today basically is in order to allow all the farmers to work during Shemitah, so the government wants to sell all the arable land in Israel to some non Jew. And now they say they sold the land to a non Jew. That's, that's the case. It's non Jewish owned land, so they can work during Shemitah. They've done this every Shemitah, but Lemaisa, it's not just to say that uh, all the halachic arguments are stacked against it. And I've, as an aside, it's not just uh, Khumra. Even uh, Rabbi Lau, the chief rabbi of Israel, I happen to know, discussed this last Shemitah, that he refused to do it. 
He said he doesn't understand halachic and why it's work. Why, why, why it will work. So let's understand the topic. Why not? What's the problem with it? So there are three problems. The first problem was, whenever they sold ground to the guy in the past, the idea would be, you sell the ground to a guy, and now the guy goes and works in the ground. So he's, he's working the ground, he's producing, and then the shine is, what's the dinner produce produced by a guy during Shemitah? But now no one's doing that. If they want to do it nowadays, what they're doing is, they're selling the ground to the guy, so that the Jewish farmer can carry on working. Now there's no answer for that. But the question about goyim is, if the guy worked the ground, can we eat the fruit? No one ever said a Jew can work the ground. Like we saw previously, that's in, that does the serum in the Torah. Right? For sure, a Jew can't work ground, which are during Shemitah. So to sell the ground to the guy so that the Jew can work the ground, it's not going to work. But we have a second problem also. And this is a concept which comes up every year in the before Pesach. You know, we're not, we're not allowed to own Chomets and Pesach. So if we have Chomets that we don't really want to get rid of, so what's always the answer? Sell it to a non And it's always a question. You want to sell your chametz to a non-Jew before Pesach. How much is it a real sale? How much is it a real sale? How much is it just you playing a game to get around the halakha? So we try our best to make it a real sale. That really belongs to the non-Jew. So what do we tell people? We say, listen, when you sell it to a non-Jew, you have to lock it up. You can't touch it. It belongs to him now. So put it in a closet or put it in a room. It's labeled. It belongs to the guy. Being sold, whatever it is. You know, make it real. That it, you've actually sold it. You can't touch it now because now it belongs to him. After Pesach, we'll buy it back. But in the meantime, it's his. Because you have to work with that. But if you're going to tell you sell to Nigeria, then go back to normal, using it like normal. So what, what exactly did I sell? So it's the same thing over here. We want to sell to Nigeria, and what's going to change? Now that the Nigeria's officially bought it, so to speak, what did he buy? Does he get more they don't give him a percentage. They give him something for the deal at the beginning, or at the end. I don't know which side it is. But he doesn't have rats in the ground. He doesn't have a say in the ground. He doesn't have the, the same people working there, working there like normal. So it becomes a question of how did the sale work? What, what exactly did he buy? What exactly did they do to give it to him? And the last problem is... That was uh, years and years ago at the beginning, and there was, he had a chesh, and then also that there was a real tariff, and that's the third thing I'm going to get to. And the third thing, which is the problem with the heads and the khira, and that is, those person who matters at the beginning, including Rav Kuk in the 1930s, and Ravadia uh, after that, they were coming from a point that there was a real need. People didn't have food to eat. So they were trying to look for a hetzer because of the, the real need. Today, Baruch Hashem, no one's in that position. There's another, there's an, there are enough other alternatives that people can find food. We don't have to grow the local produce there in Israel. Anyway, like I said, so much is being imported. And anyway, there are other options. So is it the same tzorech? Is it the same necessity that there was then? Probably not. Anyway, why am I saying this? Because... Uh, there will also be in the stores, you'll see things which they say hats in the khir. Right? So just understand the background, uh, just understand the background of what they mean by that. And like I said, I think today across the board, most everybody says that halakhic doesn't really help us. One last point, just to add that in, and that is uh, the court also ruled against hats in the khir because the whole is not a valid sale. Uh, a sale has to be something we're trying to work out the, you're selling all the land of Israel like what's the price and how's someone going to pay for such a thing it's not a real sale there's no, there's no real validity to people who are trying to do this you know, again when you come back to another example Mechira's comments so it's one thing when you want to sell your two bottles of whiskey or a few things you have on the side it makes sense now you're talking about a factory you want to sell the entire factory you're talking about astronomically big numbers so there has to be something real about uh, how's the sale actually going to work we're talking about setting a country. So it's a, how are you going to sell such a thing? How are you going to price it? There's no validity to it. It's, it's, it's become something which is, uh, in their words, a tekestati, which means a religious ceremony. Which is why the, the, all the other alternatives, we don't have to rely on. We have to deal with things which they say are sold as heads in the khir. Um, one last point I want to talk about. We'll finish that for tonight. The, and that is, there's one last thing of Shemitah, which is often asked. We said you're not allowed to unnecessarily water the ground. Right? If it's necessary to keep plants alive, that's okay. If it's not necessary, it's extra, it's not okay. What about all the ways that a person's watering the ground without intending to? And then we run to examples. We all have air conditioning units. The way an air conditioner works is that all the water, which, so to speak, it works. It, takes out of the air, so there's a drainage pipe, and it normally lands up on the ground. 
So is there a problem using an air conditioner during Shemitah? Oh, I want to wash my hands, and I know that it's going to drain to the ground. Oh, I want to do, uh, wash the floor, and I know that the drainage is going to land up on the ground. Is this a problem of watering the ground in Shemitah? That is not what I intended to do, but the most what's happening is the ground is getting watered. So I have to be careful of these things in Shemitah or not. Now, you could ask me the question, well, why are we just thinking about Shemitah? Why not have the same question as the air conditioner every Shabbos? You're putting on the air conditioner. The mice that's on Shabbos is doing exactly the same thing, and if there's a drainage pump over the ground, it's going on, it's watering the ground, so why not come every Shabbos? And the answer is simple. You didn't put on the air conditioner on Shabbos. You put it on beforehand. If that's the case, I'm not doing anything on Shabbos, it's like putting on the lights. Uh, once the system's on, uh, I'm not involved in it. I'm not doing a menach on Shabbos, by the fact that something's working. But the chances are you're not going to leave the air conditioner on the whole of Shemitah. So every time I put it on, why don't I have the same question? Is it considered watering the ground or not? So they're really, that's enough like this. It's not like it's uh, in the Gemara already in such a case. We call Davish and Nemiskavim Pashmitzah. What it's going to depend on halachically is, is it actively helping me or not? In other words, if the weather air conditioner is dripping onto it, it's actually a, 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 like a flower bed which helps me a lot if this being watered. So then I should, I should do something with one or two days to talk about to prevent it happening. If it's landing in the sand, which is not doing anything, it's just making everything muddy. Was there any somewhere that doesn't gain, I don't gain anything, it's not improving anything by doing that, then like we saw before. It's a malachad rabbanon watering the ground. If it's being done to improve the plant, to make things better, it'll be a problem. If it's not improving anything, I don't have a problem with it. Even though before Shemitah, like I put a pipe before Shemitah to go to the tree, is it allowed to? Again, the problem with putting the pipe before is not a problem. The problem is every time you put, the pipe, put it on during Shemitah, it's now causing the tree to get water. Before Shemitah, like I especially put that pipe, Extend the pipe, especially water trees. So, what well, I do for is okay. It's not a problem. But now, every time I put the air conditioner on Schmidt, and now it's going to cause the water to go to the tree, then I, then I have the question. So, what are my options? Like I said, either it's going to a place where I don't care about, it's not improving anything, that's fine. It's going to somewhere where it is improving the ground underneath, or the fl- plants or the flowers underneath. Then I have two answers. The one is extend the pipe, move it somewhere else. The other one is an interesting one. Some of the folks can bring down an answer. The mission is yes, if I had to bring, a, bring down an answer, that if it drains into a bucket, which I'd put soap into, or something like that, which isn't going to help the plants, so then Imela, even if it's going to eventually overflow and it's going to water the surrounding area, but since it's not being helpful to the plants which are around it, Imela, I'm not actively contributing to their growth, it'll be water as well. Okay, so there's some of what we saw tonight. We spoke about five different categories of Allah, and two minutes will sum everything up, make it all clear. Shavir presents us with opportunity to make in the midst of the races, which you don't have an opportunity six out of seven years. Therefore, now is the time before Shavir to prepare ourselves the opportunity, whether it's going to be in our own garden, in a shared garden, or even in a pipe plant, which is over uh, over the ground, even from a number of flights up, to be in the midst of the race of leaving the ground, and if it's something which is edible, of rendering it onerous. And therefore, people can make in the midst of the races like that. Those things which a person... Uh, Either, like we said, either he has a garden or he has a pipe plant over the garden. We spoke about when it's considered yonic from the ground, those pipe plants which are considered connected to the ground because there's a direct connection between them. Those things, the Mitzvah Shmita, has the and the Isurim is also to water them, I'm sorry, it's also to plant them, to plow them, and to reap the fruit, which isn't that practical in a, in a small scale. And uh, the other Malachas which we spoke about, the person's allowed to do what's necessary to keep them alive. To water them or to take care of them enough that they shouldn't die. More than that, you know, to improve them, personally, do during Shemitah. Those pipelines which are in a container which doesn't connect to the ground, Shemitah only applies to Rabbanan. And if it's also inside a person's house, then Shemitah doesn't apply to. Therefore, if there are those pipelines which a person, for whatever reason, does want to deal with the Shemitah, is to bring them indoors, put something between them and the ground, and like we said, even a concrete floor is not good enough, but need something else glass, metal, whatever it's going to be, that will, that will set, make a separation, and then one can deal with them during Shemitah. We spoke about the, th- the three categories of food that a person's allowed to eat during Shemitah. We spoke about what grew in the sixth year. Like we said, the difference between vegetables, which depends on the picking. Grains, depends on the third of their growth. Fruit, which depends on where they began to grow. So anything before they happened in Shemitah in each category, there's no halakhs in Shemitah at all. We spoke about things come from Chutzlaret, there's no halakhs Shemitah at all. We spoke about things which are grown by Goyim, and we're going to talk about here's the Machlokas, which didn't apply and which didn't don't. And the last thing we spoke about is uh, if a person has 
uh, any kind of a pipe or anything, or air conditioner pipe or a drain or whatever it's going to be, which is going over the ground, is, does the person have to be, take into account that that might be watering the ground? So if it's improving the ground, then we said before watering is a problem, we should put something in the way to stop that happening. If it's not improving the ground or it doesn't need it for anything, then there'd be no issue in, in, in using his air conditioner or cleaning the floor, whatever it's going to be during Shemitah. I want to talk about next week's which is to finish with to talk about now we have the three categories of which of what's not Shemitah fruit, we have to talk about what is Shemitah fruit and the halavas which apply to buying and storing and eating Shemitah fruit.